0: where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom every chain is broken through you Jesus where the spirit of the
1: If you have your shed Bibles, turn to page 1060. I am very confident I grabbed the TP version, the tiniest print version, so bear with me. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to other, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguish between Spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are of the works of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit
2: be with you. My name is Troy, and uh, you're looking great. Um, Yeah, you look like you've got some sun, and uh, I'm glad to be back. Uh, We have had a sabbatical break. I've been gone. Um, It sounds like you're happier that I was gone by that reaction. I will... Move ahead. Um, we had a great month of May. Thank you for those of you who were praying, encouraging, sending us well wishes. Um, yeah, it was, it was nice. Uh, can I give you a couple of glimpses? Uh, okay, great. Gratuitous daughter picture time. Margaret Lydia Hatfield rode on an airplane for the first time during our sabbatical. We went to Colorado for a week. She was a champ. Also, she now correctly pronounces the color yellow. She doesn't say, unfortunately, she doesn't say yeddo, which was awesome. But she still cannot pronounce guitar. She still says tadar. And we have no intention of ever correcting her. That is exactly the way that you say it. Um, Additionally, Liz and I have begun to memorize every single musical refrain from Daniel Tiger. (laughs) That was introduced into our life this month, so we apologize if we're in the middle of a conversation with you and we suddenly jump into song. Especially if you need any advice about what happens when you feel so mad that you wanna roar. (laughs) We gotcha. Um, It really was great, and we feel refreshed. We feel excited about being back. So thank you, hello again. Um, I came back into the office just this past Wednesday, and uh, excited to now be standing here. I actually noticed a second ago as I was sitting there, I was feeling nervous. This is the longest I think I've been off of this platform in my 18 years, so it feels a little, in- yeah, I just, I just realized it. Anyway, um, I'm excited to jump back into this Sunday for a couple reasons. Uh, almost exactly one year ago, actually it's one year ago tomorrow, June the 6th, a year ago, our elder board announced to our church their decision to move ahead with a co-leadership, co-pastor, lead pastor model for our church, inviting Ashley and me to be part of that. It's been a year now. (laughs) Yeah. Ashley and I, we still really like and love one another, and we still really like and love this church. And we're very excited about another ministry season together. Uh, I'm also excited today, as has already been mentioned, because this is Pentecost Sunday. I love the church calendar. I love the Christian year. I love every opportunity that I have to talk about it. And so I'm pumped today to offer up a few thoughts about why this yearly remembrance is important and why it matters to us as a church. So, Pentecost, briefly... Uh, uh, This is the day where the people of God celebrates the generous outpouring of the Holy Spirit by the risen and ascended Jesus. We celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. So the picture, the story that we get of the day of Pentecost, I'm not going to cover that text today. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you need a refresher about that story or some more of the details, read that on your own, Acts chapter 2. But in that story, what happens is we find that there is this large gathering of people in Jerusalem. The text says, um, from every nation under heaven are in one place. And this large gathering of people, including the disciples just a little bit before them, they experience a miraculous act of God. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise that Jesus gave back in John 14, where Jesus said that there is someone coming on the other side of my death and resurrection and ascension. Someone is coming. Here is the realized promise of Jesus, and it's also the actualized reality of the church of Jesus at one time. So one of the primary things that we centralize on this day, on Pentecost Sunday, is this realized promise. Here's how I would say it. Pentecost is the generous promise gift of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Jesus, and it's the bringing together of a widely varied group of people into one church. That's a lot to happen on one day in one action, but this is what we remember every Pentecost, is this realized promise. And so the text that I want to focus on today, instead of Acts 2, is another text that every cycle of, the, uh, of Pentecost, every third year, this would be one of the verses, the batch of verses that the church would think about. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you didn't have one of the Blue Shed Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so I'm going to focus our attention here. And what I want to do for us today is I, I, I want to offer two observations about this text and about Pentecost, and then I want to offer up two images of the Holy Spirit, two ways of potentially thinking about the Holy Spirit, ways that we might wrap our heads and hearts around this particular expression of the Godhead. So, that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to really narrow our focus. Instead of doing all of the verses in Corinthians chapter 12, in fact, I'm not even going to do all of the verses that we just heard read, all of the five verses we just heard read. I'm going to narrow our focus even more. And I want to concentrate on cha- on verse 7 of First Corinthians chapter 12, primarily verse 7. And so, it begins this way. Paul begins with these words. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Stop. Here is my first observation. To each one. That's the whole punchline of this sermon. The gift of the Spirit is to each one. There's this assumption that Paul's making, and it's a conviction that is echoed throughout lots of parts of the last half of the New Testament. And that conviction is this, that the gifts of the Spirit are for all people. What Paul calls the manifestations of the Spirit, these different kinds of gifts, that so many different ways uh, that this Holy Spirit who distributes all of the gifts, Paul says, that this one Spirit, these are given to everyone. They are not restricted to a select few. Rather, the Holy Spirit is generous. The Holy Spirit gives this wide range of gifts expressed in so many different ways to each one. I'm guessing that for some of us, that's good news. I hope that for all of us, that's good news. But I'm also going to assume that for some of us, that's really hard to accept that's hard to accept as being true. I I, I think in some ways it's because we have a complicated relationship with language. We have a hard time with language like gift and gifted. I'll say this, when I, I, I look at this and I remember in being in grade school And I remember that there was a little portion of every day where some kids in my class got up and left, and they went to another room that was for the gifted and the talented. Anybody else have this experience? And I'll say this, those of us who were left behind, we didn't know what was going on in that gifted and talented room. But here's what we did know. We were not considered gifted nor talented. That was evidently reserved for these kids that the teachers picked. And then I would say this, even as adults, when the language of gifted or gift is used, it can, it can have a lot of connotations. It can be difficult for us to wrap our heads around. It can sometimes make us think that there are some people who are just a little bit better than us. There's like another rank or another class of people who are gifted, who have been gifted. It seems to to imply that there's a greater promise or there's greater expectations and potential than the rest of us have. These people seem to have a kind of expertise or an, an innate talent that just outpaces everybody else. And I'm saying that because I think that sneaks into our understandings and the ways that we think about and potentially the ways that we have been taught about the Holy Spirit. For some of us, the ideas of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, well, that's reserved for other people. Those are, we're obviously talking about more spiritual people we're talking about more faithful people. For some of you, you may be thinking, well, it's for older people in the faith. And for some of you, you may be thinking, it's for younger people on the calendar. That we have this complicated understanding. But I want to stress and pull us back to verse 7, where I think Paul's clarity here Pushes against all of those suspicions. Paul universalizes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are given to each one, he says. I love how this Anglican pastor, her name is Ray Wynn Whiteley, she talks about the gifts of the Spirit and she stresses this we have not done anything to deserve these gifts. The gifts are not merit badges for holiness. They're not signs of approval from God. Isn't that helpful? I find that to be really helpful. She points out that not only are these gifts not exclusive, but they cannot be earned. It wouldn't matter if you were more faithful, if you were more spiritual if you prayed more, if you read your Bible more, because these do not qualify. They do not earn you the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts are simply gifted. And the entire room should be saying, thanks be to God. That you don't earn them. One more one more point of emphasis here about the, the gratuitous nature of the gifts of the Spirit. There's a guy called Amos Young, and he's, a, he's an academic at Fuller Theological Seminary. And uh, he wrote this. He said, the Christian faith has always been not only after Easter, but also after Pentecost. Now, here's why this is important. Because getting this straight is really massive, especially for particular parts of the Christian tradition. We not only claim to be people who are of Jesus' resurrection, we are also people of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are not just people of the resurrection, we are people of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then Yong says, and maybe what I think is, This is maybe an exaggeration. This is one of the best sentences I have read in a long, long time. How's that for hype? Amos Young then says this, because the church exists as the body of Christ and as the fellowship of the spirit, there is no non-Pentecostal church. There are no people of God upon whom the spirit has not been poured out. We exist individually and as followers of Jesus, and corporately as a church. We exist in the shadow of the first Pentecost. Therefore, Young says, there is no such thing as a church and there is no such thing as a follower of Jesus who is non-Pentecostal. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us. Therefore, I am here to declare, Mars Hill Bible Church is a Pentecostal church. It is a Pentecostal church made up of spirit-filled and spirit-empowered people. Let those emails start coming in. (laughs) The spirit has been poured out on everyone, to each one the Holy Spirit, and the generous gifts. These multiple manifestations have been given to each one. Here's my second observation. Verse 7 keeps going and has four more words. It goes like this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul gives us a glimpse into the what for of the giftings of the Holy Spirit and it's for the common good. There's this strong magnetic pull in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 in particular. This theme that Paul keeps coming back to over and over and over again, and it's this theme of unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this pull of drawing people back God desires unity in the body, unity among his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he uses different word pictures to try to capture this. And the most powerful and the most enduring of all these word pictures is when he talks about the people of God being like a body. You're likely familiar with this. This is the second half of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he likens the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the functions of one's own physical body. And then we get this great summary statement. We get this great what for statement towards the end of chapter 12 when Paul says this, but God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body. What is the aim of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? What is the aim of these manifestations and this the variety of these gifts I'll tell you what it's not It's not so that one part of the body can pump itself up It's not so that one part of the body can elevate itself and to claim that it's better than the others. It's not so that one part of the body can say that another part of the body is unnecessary. It's none of that. The aim, the gifts, are for the common good. The gifts are to unify the body so that there would be equal concern and honor. I mentioned the that Anglican, the Anglican pastor, Ray Wynne Whiteley, I didn't give you her whole quote. Here's how the whole quote goes. We have not done anything to deserve these gifts. Gifts are not merit badges for holiness. They're not signs of approval from God, but they are God's response to the needs of our communities. She claims that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are God's response to the needs of our communities? It's as if God were looking upon each localized body of believers and notices where there are gaps, where there are points of weakness, where there are areas of need. And then God, in loving response to that group of people, <laughs> gives good gifts. To individual people, so that the entire body would thrive and flourish. I don't know about you, but that's not the way I grew up understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not the common way that I've heard people talk about and describe the gifting of the Holy Spirit to be for the common good. But that's a vision I'll give myself to. That is a reality and that is a community that I will continue to say yes to. Too rarely... Has the church of Jesus been shaped to see and to understand the generosity of God made known to us through the giftings of the Holy Spirit to be for our common good, to be for our mutual thriving? Here's my summary. Pentecost. Pentecost helps us to remember every year That the Holy Spirit has been generously given to all of us for all of us. That's how I would summarize this day on the church calendar. And it's how I understand the gift of the Holy Spirit to all of us for all of us. there's this up-and-coming Christian theologian. He's called N.T. Wright. And he asked this question in an essay about 20 years ago. He said, how do we know that the Spirit is present? And then he answers his own question. Answer. Because when we worship Together in the Spirit, we gaze at one another in the Christian fellowship and we realize that we are gazing at the glory of the Lord through the Spirit who dwells in you and me alike. To all of us, for all of us. With that... I want to offer up two images of the Holy Spirit. And this is not intended to be like a once-for-all solution. This is not me trying to crack the code of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm trying to offer a couple of ways of thinking about or understanding or envisioning, maybe imaginatively envisioning, what is the presence of the Holy Spirit like? And um, so first, I, I want to ask you to imagine the Holy Spirit hovering. Imagine the Holy Spirit hovering. There are quite a few images of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And the very first one that we get is at creation. And at creation, it says that the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Now, there's a lot of mystery in this opening scene, a lot of things that we don't understand. But this communicates to us, this word hovering, it says to us that there's a kind of consistent and intentional presence of the Spirit in that scene. A consistent, intentional presence. I'm guessing that for many of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, and we think about the Holy Spirit being present, that we think about the Holy Spirit as elusive. Like showing up in only extraordinary moments. Momentary fleeting if the Spirit is present at all. But what if, what if you imagined the Holy Spirit hovering over you? What if you imagined a consistent and intentional presence of the Spirit hovering over you Always, at all times. How might your life be different if you would claim that Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12 are true? That the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given to each one and that that includes you. That includes you. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. What if you laid claim to those words and you imagined that the Spirit was not every so often, but all the time, hovering over you? How might your life be different? Friends, each of you Each of you is like the primordial waters at creation. Pregnant with creational potential, with the spirit hovering over you. And that means that at any moment, anything new could be birthed in and through you. How might your life be different if you imagined the spirit hovering over you? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and makes itself known to the disciples um, in the form of fire. And yet, even there, it says that the fire came to rest on each of the disciples. A kind of consistent permanence. The Spirit also descended and came to rest on Jesus at his baptism in the form of a dove. And that's probably the way that most of us, that's probably our primary association, like a physical image of the Holy Spirit is a dove. Um, I want to suggest now my second image. And I I, want to suggest an image that goes back to the ancient Celts in Ireland all the way back to probably the mid-4th century, the early Celtic Christians in Ireland, their primary imagery for the Holy Spirit was the wild goose. The wild goose. Unlike that gentle cooing dove that we see in those velvet paintings of Jesus at his baptism... These ancient Christians, they imagined the Holy Spirit was more like this challenging, honking provocateur who nips at Jesus' heels as he comes out of the water of baptism and leads him where? Into the wilderness. Leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted and where he's shaped they imagined the Holy Spirit like a honking, wild goose. These Celtic Christians, they understood that the Holy Spirit is wild and untamed. Sure, the Spirit is our comforter. Jesus promised that the comforter would come and that the Spirit would be our comforter. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is also one who wakes us up out of our stupor. The Holy Spirit disturbs the status quo. The Holy Spirit can potentially be really noisy and uncomfortable and lead us into places that we would never choose to go on our own. And I offer up this image of the wild goose Because yes, I want our church to embrace and to celebrate the generous gifting of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to do that humbly. I want us to be humble as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is wild and untamable, unpredictable, and yes that might even be appropriate that in our relationship and in our understanding of the holy spirit that there would be a little bit of fear and trembling the holy spirit as a hovering honking presence to us and for us. We're going to continue this morning at the table, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing together, Uh, but I want to offer a blessing over you before we continue to move forward. So would you, in some sort of posture of receptivity, extend your hands, close your eyes, whatever that might mean. Because I want for our church, for there to be a normalized experience of and recognition of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we would live into our Pentecostal with a lowercase p reality. That we are people not simply of the resurrection, but we are people of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So may each one of you be encouraged by the generosity of God expressed through the gifts that the spirit pours out on every one of us and may we all be eager to find a way to channel those gifts for the common good of our church and for the larger body of Christ and may you know the consistent hovering presence of the Holy Spirit and may you grow in courage and trust to follow wherever that wild and untamable spirit would lead you. To the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And amen.